Welcome to the Light the A Sports Podcast, home of the top interviews of Aggie Sports Nation. Former Utah State basketball head coach, Rod Tuer. Utah State gymnastics coach, Kristen White. Welcome to the program, John Eccles. Ashley Cardozo. Welcome to the program, former Utah State running back, Emmett White. How you doing? And now, here are your hosts, Jason Walker and Eric Franson. You spent 19 years at Utah State as a basketball coach and administrator. Also played at Utah State, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, former Utah State basketball head coach, Rod Tuller. How you doing, Rod? Uh, fine, Jason. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure to be with you fellas. Uh, always glad to talk about Aggie athletics and the great impact it's had on my life and the impact on the beautiful valley that we live in. Yeah. Just before we dive into the past, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing right now. Is uh, retirement treating you good? Whatever she says, I think that's, uh, <laughs> that I'm in total retirement to a, a lovely woman. We're empty nesters a long time, and uh, I just do what I need to do. Uh, I'm totally and completely retired, finally, from uh, any kind of a work. Although you never retire in our work. Uh, we have a family business uh, of some real estate and some a dancing school, and I'm still the custodian of the Tuller School of Dance, the <laughs> longest serving job I've had my entire life. There you go, Coach. Let's um, uh, after your your coaching and, and administrative days, you also helped us out here uh, with broadcasting. You'd help out with Al Lewis, and well, uh, that was a pleasure. In fact, I uh, I appreciate the opportunity when uh, Chuck. Uh, uh, Let's see. We had two Chucks. We had uh, what was his name? <laughs> Sorry, I lost that. Chuck Bell. Chuck Bell oh, is the, uh, invited me to to join Al as the color commentator. Did that for a few years and then left for a, a few years on a church mission. Came back and spent a good fifteen twenty years with Al, um, talking about Aggie athletics. It was a pleasure. So you've had a front row seat to Aggie basketball specifically for a long time, not just as a uh, color analyst for these games, but also a coach, administrator. You played at yeah. Utah State, so you're, you're a true Aggie through and through. I have been a long time and loved it uh, very much. So I, um, you know, you talk about a front row seat. I enjoyed the seat as a radio analyst and talk about the teams. Uh, it seemed to be a little easier there than when I had the front row seat that I didn't use when I was coaching. <laughs> I was busy up. Uh, and people thought I was working the referees, but it's what I was really doing is moving around, trying to hear all the suggestions from the crowd <laughs> so that I could get them in to the, to the players so that the fans would be happy. <laughs> Did you ever hear anything from the crowd that you thought, like, oh, I wish I'd try that? Never heard of it. No, it, was, it could be pin silent when you're working. The crowd has... Uh, I mean, you know, you have to do that because you can't depend on the crowd because we were in the PC2A. We'd go down to Long Beach. I remember we played a Sunday morning game at 11 o'clock at the Long Beach Arena. And I even think the custodians didn't show up for that one. That was stone silent. Wow. And so you, you're playing a big D1 basketball game that means a lot. There's not a sound in the building. So you've got to be able to, as a coach and a player, adjust to the fact, not let that be a major factor in your performance. So, um, and, and then you're busy. You're pretty busy as a head coach, hopefully involved in the technicality of the game. 
So as uh, you played at Logan High, I did. So you're you're from the valley. You played at Logan High. You then you went to Utah State and played there. No, there's a little. I I, I don't mention this very much because I've repented of it. But <laughs> I left Logan High and went to the University of Utah on a scholarship with Jack Gardner, and I I was at Utah for a year and a half. My freshman year and one quarter of my sophomore year and that that was when utah was really great with people i don't know if anybody knows the three b's bundy bergen and buck walter some of the th- greatest players in university's history down at the university of utah so i i wasn't playing down there much and uh, felt like i wanted to play a little more transferred to utah state the first quarter of my sophomore year Mm. Redshirted a year at Utah State, which I really loved, and then tried to get in the rotation. Didn't do very much, hung on. I was on the team and in the team. But interesting enough, Cease Baker was the coach, and I probably did. I might have been one of the first early graduate assistant player, coach, manager type person. So I just said, Coach, I'm not playing. I want to be involved. And so that that's kind of where I got some real insight into coaching. Mm. But I did finish the four years, graduated from Utah State in 59, and went to work coaching. So when was the moment that you, like, thought, hey, I can, I want to be a coach or something like that? Oh. When, when did the, the switch turn for you there? Back uh, when I was in, I was born and raised in Cedar City, right at the shadows of SUU, which in my day back there was called BAC, Branch Agricultural College. And I lived just right across the street in the high school, 100 yards from the gym at the university or at the junior college at that time. And the two houses next to me were bought by the school and the basketball coach and the football coach at Logan High. They gave those homes for them. And my two neighbors for the formidable years of my life from, say, eight or nine years old till 12 was in basketball and in sports. So. I knew what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old. Never deviated from it. So you, uh, you ha- after your playing days, you have an opportunity to, to uh, stay involved with coaching. Uh, you, you come on as an assistant coach at Utah State. Uh, how long were you an assistant at, at USU? Okay, I, 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 I started my career in 59 at a small school in, U- in central Utah, Aldermont High School. In the Uinta Basin. Oh, that's right, because you coached high school basketball I for a long time. I coached high school basketball for 14 years. That's four right. years at Altamont. Came back, had an opportunity to come back to Logan High and coached 10 years at Logan High. And then after the 10 years at Logan High, Dutch Belknap gave me the opportunity to go with him when he was uh, named the head coach, uh, replacing T.L. Plain in 1973. So you've uh, when you come to Utah State as an assistant, like what was, uh, what was it like then? Just assistants. Then did you have a specific role, offense, I, defense, I did. Uh, recruiting? Dutch was brand new. His first head coaching experience. He'd been an assistant to Liddell, and he stayed on and was an assistant to TL, and then he became the head coach. He hired me at Logan High School and a young man by the name of Jim Herrick. Uh, who some of you might know, yeah, the coach that ended up at UCLA, the last one to win a national championship. Jim and I were the assistants for the first four years of uh, 
about three three years maybe of Dutch's career. And my assignment at that time was to do the local recruiting through the state of Utah because of my high school experience and to do the academics to see that we could straighten up. There needed to be a lot done there because that had gone sidewards. And, uh, and Jim was in charge of out-of-state recruiting, brought in some great players from California, and then we traded back and forth. And then I, in those days we had a J JV team, and I coached the JV team. Mm. We'd have a tryout. We would use the preferred walk-ons that we didn't give scholarship to but invited. Uh, once in a while we used a scholarship kid, but most of the time I remember having tryouts in the spectrum and picking guys up and giving them an opportunity to put on an Aggie uniform. And we played about 10, 10 to 15 JV games. So talk about recruiting. I like uh... – who are some of the better players you recruited? Maybe who are some of the ones you maybe missed out on? Just give me a little. Well, uh, some of the great local players you you might know a little bit about Jason. I actually went down and recruited a couple of really good players out of Davis High School. Dean Hunger being the, the greatest. He's a Hall of Famer. Mm, yeah. Uh, Dean Hunger came from Davis High School and Brian Jackson, another 6'9", great, great player. Um, Harry we kind of all ended up recruiting, but we had those guys together, and they were two of the best big forwards that I think Utah State's ever had. Um, and then Craig Taylor uh, from Davis High School. Uh, we got uh, Gary Beck, uh, of course, the great recruits uh, that performed well for me. Greg Grant out of East High School in Salt Lake that oh, yeah. held the scoring record until – JC came JC along. JC got it, yeah. And, but Greg was a phenomenal uh, basketball player uh, here at Utah State. Um, locally, uh, over in Bear River, Jeff Anderson. I had two Jeff Andersons, one from Salt Lake and one from Bear River, and uh, uh, we enjoyed Jeff. Had a great career. And it just kind of goes on and on. Uh, some from out of state, some great out of state players, Michael McCullough, Kevin Nixon. Um, uh, it, it was a fun career. I was, you asked Eric a few minutes ago how I was six years an assistant to Dutch, and then I was given the opportunity to replace him, and I was nine years the head coach. In your time as an assistant and as a head coach, multiple opportunities to go to the NCAA tournament with your teams. We tried to, we tried to make that our goal every year, and uh, I was fortunate to be there. Uh, when Dutch accomplished it, um, and we took some credit for that, but uh, when I was there, the NIT was a big tournament in those days, too, and so if you didn't get to the NCA, you had a chance to get to the NIT, and uh, we made some fun runs at that time, and, and then I also coached the first team that the Aggies ever had that got an at-large bid that didn't win the conference because we were known as a one-bid conference. And one year they decided to invite us as a second team out of the PC2A. So that was that was an accomplishment that we enjoyed. So as far as starting your head coaching career, you know, going from assistant <laughs> to head coach, like tell me like a little bit of how that happened, you know, your feelings, like feel like you finally made it. Like what was it like for you when they uh. offered you the job? 
I, I, you know, I just was, I was so involved in, in the basketball. I loved it so much. It was just kind of part of the life. And, uh, it, it, you know, what a dream for me uh, to have been associated with Utah State so long to be able to kind of climb that corporate ladder. And uh, so it wasn't a, it was more of a just a natural evolution, it felt like to me. And uh, the Dutch was so, Dutch and I, the reason Dutch and I got along so well, we went to school together. We graduated from Utah State at the same time, and he coached at Weber High while I was at Logan High, so we had a, a relationship. And that's why he, in, I think, invited me to be his assistant. And then when I was here, I just enjoyed the university. I appreciated the opportunity to be in charge of academics because I did get an opportunity to spend a lot of time up on campus with the professors and and tried to build that relationship between the athlete and the and the academics. Your um, you were when you were a coach. Did they make that change from PCAA to the Big West, well, or did that happen after when you were an administrator? When when we were when we first coached, we were independent. Mm. Liddell went through his entire career kind of as an independent, never belonged, and that was a tough call. And when you were independent in those days, you had to have a, a good record and be well represented. And Liddell did that. He got into the playoffs many times. There was a little team over across the way called San Francisco that had a pretty good run at it. Yes, you look it back did. at your history. And Arizona State had a good run at that time. And that was our block every once in a while when we got as close as the final eight uh, with Liddell. But during my tenure, we were independent. Then we joined. We're invited for the first time into a league, the PC2A. The PC2A morphed into the um, the um, Big West, and then the Big West. After the Big West came the invitation to the WAC. I wasn't there for the WAC change, but the Big West and the and the PC2A, I was. So, what was the you know NCAA tournament like back? You know, back and obviously now it's this huge spectacle. Well, I can, I can tell you a little about that. I, I think I've I, I just got some recognition this last year. I'm, I'm a 50-year member of the NABC. I've been to over 40 Final Fours. Wow. My wife and I have been to 40 together, and I've been to a few more than her. And uh, so Final Fours, I can tell you about the evolution of it from the 60s to today. And it's always been the best basketball spectacular, great show put on. Just the idea that it's one and done makes it the greatest thing. It, hopefully the best teams get there, and then those two nights of basketball are phenomenal. So I guess, uh, oh, were you done, Alan? <laughs> I am done. <laughs> okay, I was going to ask you about, uh, like, what, what's, you know, obviously that many Final Fours, like, is there one that you can rank as, like, the best or one of the best? Is yeah, one, one of the best. The only time in all those Final Fours, my wife and I, she was there 90% of the time. We never we never had a favorite. We just enjoyed the teams that played. But then a little team from down south called UNLV got into the Final Four, representing the PC2A or the Big West, a team that we played, had a great competition with, never beat in fact, I tell Jerry Tarkanian he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame and be famous without me. I gave him more <laughs> wins than he deserved. Uh, take away my wins, he wouldn't be there. So uh, anyway, we had a great – so when UNLV played for it those two years, uh, 
those were memorable, especially the year they won. And the year they lost was very disappointing because, unfortunately, we turned into fans at that Final Four and wanted one team to win. I should put a caveat. When University of Utah was in the Final Four, uh, that was the time I was out of the basketball business uh, serving our mission in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And ironically enough, I was invited by Jim Nance to, to go down to the regionals and he called me, he knew where I was, he's a good friend. He says, I'll be in New Orleans to the semifinals, Utah's playing, I knew you might be interested. So I uh, excused myself from my ecclesiastical duties and went down and watched one game. <laughs> so I, I got a touch of the year that Utah played for it. Oh, and it was the great. semifinal game. That's awesome. Yeah. That was a great run. It was a great one. We all thought maybe that was the time again for him. So. Yeah. So Final Fours have been big. It's, it's, you know, couch with the Final Four for us coaches is the NABC National Convention. So we as coaches get together and have meetings, and mm. it's really enjoyable. And that's how I, I have lifetime tickets to the Final Four. So that's go. why I go. I have to. I can't turn those down. <laughs> uh, I did see there was uh, news here recently that future dates have been set. Uh, I think Detroit. Uh, oh, again, Detroit. Las Vegas. Will host. Um, they put that out, huh? Yeah, um, I think it'll go to the Dallas area where the uh, the, the Cowboys play. It'll yeah. be in their arena. Yeah, out of the so. Cherry's world, we've done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They played there. Uh, yeah, the, the arenas. It's it's gone from gyms. I was to the Final Four in the pit in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when the shot was made. Oh, Valvano's team. Oh, yeah. And those were great games because the arenas were so intimate. And you knew you were really only one of maybe fifteen or 18,000 people. Then we go to the Superdomes, and you're one of 75,000 people. And they're getting bigger and bigger. They have seats. They sell you. You couldn't see that game if you had a telescope. <laughs> but people still buy a ticket and come in. Just, Just to say they were there. Yeah. The event is incredible. Hopefully they give you good seats. Like um, we're getting farther. The older you get, the farther back they put you. <laughs> Just opposite. They should put us closer. Yeah. We can't hear and see anymore. But uh, <laughs> uh, we get good, pretty good seats. The NABC gets uh, a, lo- a lot. But. Yeah. So just going back uh, to your kind of first couple of seasons, I guess. Do you remember your first game? Coaching? Ooh, I do. It was against uh, Weber State. Huh. And it was, I think it was an overtime game that we happened to win. Yeah. So it was a good start. Uh, back in my day, another interesting fact that I appreciated was that all the years that I coached on the bench at Utah State, we played BYU, Utah, and Weber State home and home every year. And you think about that as a six-game preseason schedule. That's tough. That's pretty good. Well, nobody nobody would ever go into BYU or Utah or Utah State or Weber as a preseason practice game. But we did it as a state. We had a we had a old ochre bucket. Yeah. Traveling trophy. trophy. Yeah, traveling trophy. We still got it. I am now an executive with the Utah Sports Hall of Fame and I found the old ochre bucket, revived it up, polished it up, and it's in the Utah Sports Hall of Fame right now. Uh, you won that three straight years. I did in the mid '80s. Yeah, I had a, that was a good run. That reminds me of a 
Some people worry about that and say, mate, that's too hard of a schedule, don't want to play it. We won 18 straight games against BYU and Utah over a three, four-game period. Greg Grant never lost to the University of Utah or BYU in his playing days. Wow. That's a streak that n nobody knows about. But you know what happened to that streak is that every once in a while, Weber State would beat us. We could never get a sweep. <laughs> it was a tough – those were tough days. Those were good. And, you know, we'd fill the spectrum. We'd fill the Weaver building. We'd fill the Cougars and the Utes because people – we could do it again today, but the coaches won't do it anymore. Those in-state rivalries are suffering with all this conference realignment. And actually, that was one thing I wanted to ask you, just your time as a coach and also as an administrator, maybe more so as the athletic director, just uh, seeing the landscape of college athletics at your time and then looking to see how it is today, I know it would be grossly simplistic to say there are big differences, but what are some of the biggest things that may be similar today than what you experienced when you were a, an athletic director? Well, the similarities is that college basketball is still one of the greatest spectator sports. I think people that enjoy college basketball because the it, it's still got enough pureness to it. The kids play for the right reasons in most cases. It's in the process of being changed now very gradually by the pay situation, which really I think is the biggest deterrent to college athletics. I'm not a fan of the NIL or whatever. Name, image, likeness. Yeah, yeah the, uh, where we're paying. I, I always felt like we needed to help the athletes maybe a little more, but not so much more give them a good education, a good experience. But the big change, that so the thing that hasn't changed is the uh, exuberance, the experience of being a college athlete, representing your school and some loyalty. That's being chipped away because of transfer portal, the NIL, uh, and uh, all the things that take that away. Team loyalty, it's more I generation. You know what's good for me? And now we have to say to an athlete, well, if you don't like it here, then go where you'd like to go. And it, it's not working real well. Uh, the other thing that I think has changed is the, the fans, the sports fans are being cheated out of having a real good experience. If BYU, Utah, Utah State, and Weber, um, if, even if you wanted to expand it, Southern Utah, UVU, uh, maybe uh, I've even tried to, start up through the Sports Hall of Fame, a Utah classic. But they just don't want to take the chance of maybe picking up a couple of losses against a high-quality team. So that's that's too bad, isn't it? Yeah, it is we, really sad. We've got all those, all those teams that I just mentioned all belong to different leagues. They could play a practice game, but we bring in teams that most of us don't know. It's not as bad as me. I used to bring in the school of the blind and the deaf, so we could get a so we could get a win. So, so you touched on as far as college sports or college basketball being a spectacle, and I kind of want to tie this into you know the spectrum and also you know the old field house because that's where you played. Oh, that's right. So like, what was it like you know playing in the field house and wow. also just being able to coach in the spectrum? I'd say my my greatest experience in the George Nelson Field House was. Not college games. It was a high school game between Logan and Skyview. Uh, I think we set the attendance record in the history of the old Nelson Fieldhouse because I think the fire marshal slipped in. 
And we kept selling tickets if we had too many people because the next year they said there's got to be a limit on how many people you can squeeze in there. But we had some great games. Uh, Ivan Christensen coached Skyview, and I was at Logan, and we we played the games up in the Spectrum or up in the Nelson Fieldhouse. And then it moved into the Spectrum, but we couldn't quite fill the Spectrum. It wasn't the same. Yeah. But as far as the, back, the playing in the Nelson Fieldhouse, Utah had one. It's called the Einer Nielsen Fieldhouse. BYU had an old fieldhouse. And Weber had a high school gym. And that's the, you know, where we played there when I coached with Dutch. But the bottom line is that the games were just intense and wonderful. And, uh, and then we moved into the spectrum. I also had a little insight into the spectrum. Uh, um, the greatest high school basketball player ever coached was a young man by the name of Bob Lariski. Oh, and he was—he uh, actually my yeah. brother-in-law. Oh, really? He's my wife's little brother, and uh, I coached him at Logan High, and then he went up to Utah State to have a great career. And he was there at the initiation of the um, the Spectrum in 1971 and 70 when we started the. I missed the first game in the Spectrum. I was coaching a Logan High game somewhere, so I missed that big one. But uh, the Spectrum's been turned into one of the great basketball arenas in the country. So um, your, your job as uh, – well, let me put it this way. You, you, you coached locally at the high school level. You coached at Utah State. Um, you were an administrator from here. How much of that um, – <clears throat> when we look at you know, turnover happening now with this university, how much did it help you being – local and familiar with the state of Utah in doing your job. And is that, how important is that for future candidates who may fill a similar role? Well, I, I, I personally think, and I think it's a little shaded with some prejudice, but I, I think it really helps to have some institutional knowledge and some institutional history. Um, for me, on December the 28th of 1984, I think it was, yeah, it was 84, um, I just concluded a game at LSU. We went on the road and went down and played an ex-coach at Utah State University, Dale Brown. Mm-hmm. He was an assistant to Liddell here. Had coached uh, uh, Shaq down that way, and we scheduled the game to go down. I like to give my kids experience. Went down there and got pounded like a tom-tom. I went back to the hotel about 12 o'clock at night. The phone rings, and it's the president of the university. And I thought... Geez, the president's calling me at 12 o'clock at night after a 30-point loss. I guess it's over. You know, when I, I knew it was bad. I didn't think it was that bad. But the call was to tell me that Dave Craigthorpe had resigned as the athletic director, and they'd asked me to be the interim athletic director as well as the basketball coach. And I says, well, give me until I get home tomorrow uh, to decide. And I came home and talked it over with my wife and decided that we would, because of our love for the university and an opportunity to continue to to contribute, um, I did that. I did both jobs for about four years, which was near stupid, <laughs> um, totally. Um, but it, somebody asked me, who's the best athletic director you ever worked for? That's an easy question. I was, because <laughs> I never said no, got everything I wanted, you know. And, That's right. But... Uh, and then after four years of that, I, in 1988, re- resigned the basketball and 
and went to full-time AD and put uh, Con Smith in as the basketball coach, give him a shot. So uh, in answer to your question, institutional knowledge, I wanted to do that when I quit the basketball. I wanted to hang on, and we just had a change of presidents, which apparently is going to occur again. <laughs> and uh, we hired a new man from Auburn University, George Emmert, and I felt like I could be a, a good gap to help somebody from the outside know where the where the ch challenges are, what the personality and of this great university is. And, and so I think from that standpoint, that was the attitude I had. I thought I could contribute. Nowadays, though, athletic directors and basketball coaches, many of them live in mobile homes with the engines running. <laughs> they haven't got time to turn mm -hmm. them off. The jobs are just rotating, and it's unfortunate. The continuity of a little institutional knowledge, I think, helps. Let's ask you a little bit about how you think, you know, game of basketball is today in college basketball, like how different mm -hmm. it is from... Well, it, it's a great game because I think the players are so talented. I mean, they are so skilled. Faster, stronger, bigger, faster. They shoot the ball well. I, I guess I have a a little bit of hang-up with the, the style. I'd like us to get more back to the basics of basketball, but I could not believe I was a fan of the three-point three shot. I'm also a, pan, a fan of open basketball. Uh, uh, I kind of named my style while I was the head coach as, as run, gun, and giggle. That's what we did. We liked to have fun. We liked to open the court. We'd go up and down the court. The best example of that game was one game we played with UNLV up here at the Spectrum. Three overtimes, 144 to 142. Yeah. Wow. Now that was a game. The fans were entertained. The ball went in the hole and up and down the court. And uh, I like that. But today, it bothers me that the guy, these kids are so talented. They do everything it takes to get the ball within two feet of the basket. And then just before I think, boy, that's a great move. They're going to lay that in. They pop it out to the three-point line because that's a higher percentage shot. You, How many times have you seen that on a drive? Penetrate and dish. Back to the three-point land. Yeah. And three-point shots are emphasized beyond. And you can thank Seth Curry of the Warriors for that. <laughs> yeah. He's almost changed basketball. I'm sure he had something to do with that, yeah. He, he sure does. <laughs> Just a little bit. Do you – there's uh, – I mean, women's basketball has moved to quarters. At the high school level, it's quarters. In the NBA, it's quarters. Should it be quarters in men's college hoops – or keep it at halves. I I think that's that's purely an academic question. It has no effect on the game. I don't think uh, I think the twenty minute half is fine with college because of the number one. It's the most televised, not any more than the pros, of course. But they get enough timeouts and enough risks with the TV timeouts. You can hardly enjoy a game because it breaks it up. But uh, I would say leave college alone, and uh, the quarters are fine for all the others that are doing it because they don't get as many breaks with the TV. High school, obviously not, and that's kind of the object of the game. So I kind of liked it, the 20-minute continuity. That was not bad. You get going and get warmed up. and I guess the most frequent 
a call that I heard from my good friends in the stands was call timeout to learn. It still rings in my mind. I hear it all the time. <laughs> they wanted me to call timeout. And I, I kind of had the philosophy that the players probably could tell me that better than the fans could. And timeouts are to be used to judiciously because there's not, not very many of them. It's part of the strategy of the game. Mm-hmm. And not just because somebody says you're getting clobbered. That's the problem. That's the player's problem. Stop it. Start playing some defense. Make a back. You know. So, but it's it's a great game. I love it. It's fast. It's beautiful. It's uh, it's uh, I think one of the most creative sports there is. So high school's obviously going through some changes as well. They're putting in a shot clock. For the high schools, would you have wanted those back when you were coaching? Well, you know, I just described to you my style. I, the shot clock wasn't even a factor in my day. We didn't worry about it before it was there. But uh, it helped speed up the game. Uh, I'll tell you, I had an experience with Dutch as an assistant coach. We went to the University of Tennessee to play in the Volunteer Classic. And we played the University of Tennessee in the game. And... Uh, no, we played the early game, and Tennessee played somebody. Who was it? I wish I could remember. But they sat on the ball. The score was 11-7 to 7 for the whole game. Oh. And they just, the whole first half, there was only three or four shots taken. I remember sitting on the front row, press row, visiting with one of the players as he stood there with the ball under his arm. The defense wouldn't come out and contest him. There was no timing. And we just, 15,000 people sat there while they just let the clock run. Oh, after the game, a nightmare. The president, it, it was a nightmare, Eric. Oh. It was a nightmare. And after the game, the president apologized, got on the thing, and said, you're welcome to stay. The University of Tennessee basketball team will take a breath, and we will scrimmage for 30 minutes for you so you can see some basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but it was horrible. And it was a few games like that that, you know, people, it was bad to play in a game in the 30s and 40s because some coach would slow it down. Well, we got some coaches down in southern Utah who do that. Yeah. yeah. So we saw that in the 4A basketball yeah. tournament yeah, yeah, I've seen year. that. I know a couple. I could name you some. I've seen them. <laughs> and it was true in college. We had slow-down coaches. And you know what they always won? They always won Defensive Coach of the Year awards because they held their opponents down low because they played games in the 30s and 40s you know they never in the offensive stats but they could always and that wasn't because of good defense that was because Just of no defense. limited possessions that's exactly right. there's no basketball there's no, no basketball, basketball no that's right yeah. we led the nation a time or two in scoring so that was kind of fun that's where the game is all right, well, we could have probably a couple hours worth of conversation. but a long time. I just appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts and memories. I'm a big-time fan. Appreciate the, the people that support Utah State Athletics. It's, it's amazing. One year I was 4-23. and 23. We won 4 and lost 23. or twenty. Yeah, 4-23. and 23. It was that bad. I, I didn't think. I shouldn't have repeated that. But, uh, you know, the fans stayed with us because they thought we were going to win. That year we beat both BYU and Utah, so the fans were happy. But uh, enough, they stayed with us. Didn't affect attendance. Next year, we started up again. We turned it around and went 21-7 and the next year, but the fans 
we're in the stands still. We go up at preseason games, six, 7,000 people. You look around some of the gyms, they're not full. So kudos to the great Aggie nation that support. This is a good, good country and good basketball. You're certainly a part of that good basketball history, so we thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with us. Maybe we can do it again sometime. Thank you very much, Jason and Eric. It's nice to be with you. And good All luck. famer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Famer. I don't know how that happened. Somebody. <laughs> but uh, I do appreciate the company and appreciate yours, and good luck, and thanks for all you do for sports in Cash Valley. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the Light the A podcast with Jason Walker and Eric Franzen. Be sure to like the episode and share your favorite part of it. You can also find the show on Twitter at 1069 The Fan.